Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here with Adrian Nicholson. Uh, Eric's in conferences and on vacations for a little while, so Adrian and I will be holding the fort down. How's your week been, Adrian? My week's been good. Feeling good. Excited to be here. Like you mentioned, Eric's going to be out for a couple episodes, but always looking forward to another great episode with you, Roshan. Uh, as am I. We've got uh, we we've decided to select our own topics because I'm a little obsessed with banks. So I'm going to be talking about banks today. I apologize if there are some of you out there that are bored with the topic. I just think there's a great opportunity and so much to to research and learn uh, out there. But Adrian, you're going to start us off with your topic today. I'd be happy to start us off. So I came across a new term. I'm sure you might be familiar with erosion. It's called financial confidence. Have you heard about it before? Actually, I have not. That's really surprising, but that's something that was new for me. So when I saw the term, I just decided to do some research and look into it a little bit more just to see if there was any information that could just help me out with my day-to-day my -day work. So it was really interesting. So I'll just go over the definition with people that aren't familiar with financial confidence. This is the belief and trust to navigate financial challenges effectively. And ultimately, financial confidence is important because with the right amount of confidence, it can help you make better financial decisions and secure your long-term financial well-being. So all good points. So when I read the definition and heard about that, I decided to make this my topic today because I thought it'd be really valuable for our viewers and listeners. And towards the end of my discussion with you, I'm also going to give some tips to improve your financial confidence and I also have a survey as well that I'm going to go through as well today with our viewers and listeners that I think might be valuable. And there's some banking data, too, that I might pull up on the fly that may go along with some of the discussion that you brought forth today, too, Roshan. So I'm really excited about this topic. Great. So tell me, how'd you, how did you find it? You said it's a new term to you as it is to me. How did you come across it? How did the research begin? So I found this survey online that was talking about financial confidence, and that's what I'm going to go over with our viewers and listeners today. And it really surprised me when I found that there are a good amount of people out there that are lacking financial confidence right now. And this data that I'm going to share to you today really paints that picture. So that's what I'm going to go through today. It's a survey that was taken by a management company called Momentive. And it really highlights where people stand today regarding their personal finances. And this survey was conducted after the aftermath of the banking crisis as well. I'm assuming that's what started to cause some people to have some confidence issue when it came to their personal finances. So this survey was conducted not too long ago, so I thought that would be interesting to share as well. And it broke down different categories in this survey as well. It's broken down by age education, gender, income, political affiliation, and race and ethnicity. So this really gives you a broad overview of where certain people stand where it comes to their financial confidence. But I just, for this podcast, I'm just going to break it down into total. 
and just give you some of the interesting points that I found in here. So I'm really excited to share this today. So the first one, the first data set I'm going to share with you today is a question it's saying that was posed to the people in the survey was, how stressed do you feel about your personal finances? And 70% of the people across all categories, like I mentioned before, age, education, gender, income, political affiliation, race, and ethnicity, 70% of the people in this survey said that they did feel some stress around their personal finances. And that lined up with a lot of articles that I've been seeing, a lot of articles that have been published recently saying that there is really a lack when it comes to confidence in people's personal finances. So I wasn't too surprised after what I've been seeing, but 70% is still a large number. Granted, this data pool was pulled from about 4,700 people, so it's not a huge representation, but it was a good starting point that I found interesting. Does that number surprise you? Well, I, I'm I, not exactly the context is what I'd be looking for. Did it give you any, any data on is 70% where it typically is historically, or is it higher or lower? That well, they didn't give any historical data on it, but I guess that's where those people stood right now. So the next data piece that I want to share right after was which of the following contributes to your financial stress, and the top three were inflation, economic instability, and rising rates. Yeah, see, ba based on that part of the answer, I bet it was higher than normal. So initially, when I asked you what it compares to whether 70 percent is the norm, I would have I would have expected to be higher than normal because they selected uh, uh, the areas that were of concern are specific to the current economy. That to me makes makes me believe it's probably a higher number. And I think all of those concerns are are. Um, valid right now with what's going on with the economy. I think inflation's looking pretty good, just addressing each of the topics. I think inflation's looking pretty good in the sense that I think it's declining, it's heading in the right direction, uh, showing that the rate hikes are are working. The economy-wide instability, I, I don't know if that would, would um, encompass recession risk, but uh, that I think is still an, a risk that's out there. Interest rates rising, though I think that's still a concern, I think the lion's share of that's completed as well. So uh, overall, the one one thing I'm taking away that's actually a little bit of a positive is I think a lot of these stressors uh, that they're referencing are um, uh, are under are heading in the right direction. And that will definitely help out. And I'll just list off the other ones, too, since we went over the three main ones. And just for a review again, it's economic instability, rising rates, and then inflation. Those were the top three. The next one on those lists as well is lack of savings, medical and health care bills, aging, credit card debt, layoff or loss of income, and then the last one is student loan. So that's the list that causes people to have a lot of stress around their personal finance, which ultimately impacts how they feel about their financial confidence in the future and going forward. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like the uh, um, lack of savings, actually one, I, I don't know how often people are concerned about that, but you know, I've been industry for in the industry for over 20 years. And as a country, lack of savings has been a constant. Uh, excluding a few time periods where 
where the numbers look better as, as a country that looks con- con- that's been a constant. Another one with credit card debt that I find interesting is just the data nationally. Uh, one showing that it's going up. You know, people had it under control, particularly after all of the stimulus. Now it shows that it's going up, and then the rising interest rates uh, could make that a problem sooner than later. It's something that I've read and um, seen in many places, and have also um, have also um, we also discussed it last night at the the event that I'm going to review uh, with my with my topic on banking. So I, I wonder if that one's a greater concern right now, or if it if it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, it's going to boil down to the individual. I'll share this survey in our show notes so you can check it out yourself. Again, you can sort it by category. So I'm assuming a lot of these stressors may change versus uh, how certain groups feel about certain areas, whether it's a big stress to them or not, or how that may change. Again, it's broken down. It may be different depending on what age you are or what your income level is or your overall background, that really does impact the numbers here. But I thought it would just be helpful just to go over the totals, which does paint the picture at the end of the day. So the next point I pulled out from the survey was, do you currently have emergency fund? And this pretty much was a coin flip across all groups. 53% do not have an emergency fund, where 47% do have an emergency fund. So it is really split 50-50, but this does play into the impact on how people feel about their personal finances as well, and a good starting point. And you know, that would be an area where I'd be very concerned, if, you know, lacking an emergency fund, just because um, I remember, once again, going back to when I first started, we had, we had said that there were... Um, four building blocks to your financial life and one of the 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 first one was cash so you want to make sure you have that emergency fund because that'll keep you out of debt and so that's a that's an important one to avoid uh, you know what we used to talk about back then was called the debt cycle people typically have a if they're in debt they typically have a range let's just say it's between five and ten thousand and you know it goes up to ten and they get concerned it goes down to five then something comes up an emergency a vacation it goes back up and then it gets up to ten they get concerned they sort of bounce around in that range so the only way you can break that that cycle is with having that emergency fund or having the cash on hand. So for those of you listening, if you don't have an adequate cash on hand and you're thinking about some of the other areas, I'd encourage you to build that first uh, and make sure you have a good amount of cash available. Yeah. And then sometimes you may find out that it's too much where this level has just stayed the same and you use it when emergency or unexpected expenses do come up. However, it never dips below the line that makes you feel uncomfortable. And then that's where you really have to consider or have a conversation to see whether this is to be adjusted or this is the appropriate level going forward. So great example there, Roche. I appreciate that. And then the last one I have on my list is how much money would you need to make you feel financially comfortable? And the top choice was $100,000. And then the second choice was a million dollars. And again, this would change depending on whatever the category was. But the majority of people in this survey said they would feel comfortable, which would help with their confidence if they had around $100,000 saved, invested, whatever the situation may be on how it is. So that's all the information I pulled from my survey. 
what would be your final take from it as well, Roshan? Anything surprise you or interested? Like I said, I will share this in the show notes for our listeners and viewers so you can access it as well. No, no real surprises. I'm trying to think if there's anything that that stands out uh, at all. You know, the 100,000 number doesn't surprise me. The savings, does uh, people feeling they need to sh- save more, that's not surprising either it does it does really vary by individual but i'm not i'm not at all surprised by any of the um, outcomes with the with the survey the one thing i i did find is, is either you can call it comforting or concerning is this the level the the list of concerns comforting in the fact that i think some of the concerns though relevant now are under control concerning because i think some things that should be concerns uh are um uh are are not as high on the list Awesome. Great. So the last thing I have to share are tips to improve your financial confidence. And I'd sort this in order if you're just starting out would be a good place to start just to work up your degree of confidence around your personal finance. Number one I have is educate yourself. That's the number one thing sometimes we really promote on this podcast. Do your research, do your homework, surround yourself with a support group or people to help you just further your degree of education, overall your plan, whatever it may be, that's a good foundation to start with. The second one is set clear goals. Having goals is extremely important because it's having something to work with, something you can track and something that you can really allocate your assets as efficiently as possible to achieve what you ultimately want in life. And that's the name of the game when it comes to investing and financial planning. Third is to create a plan. Having a roadmap to get to your goals is extremely important because it's your guide. At the end of the day, it's showing whether you're on track or not and something that you need to revisit as well just to see if you're on course to achieving that goal or if you're not, what you need to do to make some changes to help you in the long run. With the topic being financial confidence, I have met with clients at extremely stressful, low confidence times in their lives. Uh, layoffs um, uh, re- during retirement where they're where they're concerned when they are retired during times of market uncertainty and that what you just referenced having a plan to get to your goals that tends to be the most powerful thing I've seen in giving people peace of mind which may equal confidence it may not at the very least it, it's it's giving them peace of mind and lowering to eliminating uh, a lot of the financial stress mm-hmm Yeah, that's a great example. And then the last three things I have on my list of tips for our listeners and viewers is start saving, paying down debt, and then automate this. I think this is a really good start as well because this not only tracks your cash flow, but it works towards your goals and really helps increase your net worth as much as possible. Boosting your assets and paying down your liabilities is a good way to do it. And automate it as well because it makes it easier for you to not have to keep track of where it's doing it on whatever basis you feel most comfortable with. And it's on a frequency that helps you out the most. Uh, yeah, I think that's those are excellent tips. What I was talking about earlier with getting rid of debt and breaking that debt cycle uh Building that cash is so important, which you touched on with automated savings and you said pay off the debt. Typically, when I would encounter someone that had issues around this, we would try to do both simultaneously. So let's say you had $1,000 left over a month, 500 towards building cash, 500 towards paying down debt. 
and it it may be counterintuitive uh, just because you're you're not getting you're never getting as much interest in the savings as you're going to pay on the debt, but that savings is what'll eliminate it. So I would tell people to view that as uh, yes, you're you're losing out on interest now, but you're eliminating debt, which means you're saving on future interest costs by building the cash up. Great point. And my last parting thought on this on why financial confidence is important, and this would just be like my final quote, it's take control and achieve your goals. That's what financial confidence is all about, helping you put yourself in a good position to achieve what you want to do or what your goals are so you can have that long-term security in the future. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm, I'm just going to repeat it and I'm going to tell you later we should we should use this as a, as a possible title uh, or, or a meme that we put out, take control and achieve your goals. I love that line. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that, Roshan. Thank you. So I'm going to jump into my topic. I did, did tell you what it would be. It's about banking and to give you a very short background. Uh, as I said earlier, I see this as a huge opportunity and we're uh, three months since the banking crisis, you know, starting out in March. Uh, and I'm still digging deep and trying to find opportunities. It is uh, somewhat of a slow moving process because I do think the risks are so high. Whenever we talk about risks, it always reminds me to say, please consult your advisor, do your research. This is not advice. This is purely for uh, uh, to help you find find some things uh, for you to look into. And if you need help, Adrian and I are available and Eric is not here, but he is also available to any of the any of you that need help. So Last night, I attended uh, an event held by the Washington Association of Money Managers. It was a banking industry outlook. With what I'm researching and focused on, I thought it was um, very timely for me, timely for what's going on, and uh, very much worth the time to go attend this event. It was there were. Um, Four members on the panel: David Bishop of Havdi Group. They are uh, he does is on their research side, I believe, and they do bank research. Bill Boyd at Piper Sandler. He does banking M and A. Doyle Mitchell Jr. of Industrial Bank. He's the CEO of Industrial Bank. So we've got um, uh, research M and A, and Havdi does research as well, I'm sorry M and A as well. Uh, CEO of a of a community bank. And then we had uh, Lori Hunsicker of Seaport, who also is on the research side, and they really just had a discussion. So some of this may not be, it it was a free-flowing conversation. I'm going to share my notes just on how the conversation went. So it may not be as as organized as as I would like, but this is where things started out. And I think it gives you an idea of what people are thinking about. So the first thing that was was, uh, discussed in here were margin compressions. And they used the, the, the term they used was remixing of deposits. So what, what that means is banks were getting deposits at 0% a year ago. They were then lending the money out to uh, <clears throat> borrowers. You know, mortgages back then were in the 3% neighborhood. So they're getting, uh, in this example, they're getting the money at zero, they're lending it at three, their margin is 3%. Now, they were saying the industry average was at about four and it's dropped to three. So 
uh, one thing to look at is how are banks addressing this now? And they're getting uh, uh, they're getting hit a little bit on both sides. That was where Silicon Valley Bank's issue came into play. What I mean by that is they started to pay for deposits more than zero. You know, you can get banks paying on regular you know money market accounts in the threes and fours now and CDs and fives. So now their costs are up because they pay that cost of deposit. Second, if they had long-term bonds, this is what, what killed Silicon Valley Bank, these government bonds, those values are down and they weren't paying the five the five percent the bank has to pay in CDs. So uh, there are banks that will be losing money or they've got to find a way to address the margins. Now, just once again, going back to Silicon Valley Bank, the thought might be, well, why not sell those old loans and get new ones? If you sell those old loans, you take a huge loss. Um, and Adrian, feel free to jump in or stop me with any any questions. Uh, now, for those bank analysts out there, this seems like common sense. I just thought it was uh, it was worth stay, uh, stating as well. The value of the bank is their deposit base, and lumpy deposits are a risk. What that means are is it, the value of the bank is the deposits coming in and staying. Right. You, they want the deposits that stay ideally, not the people that are jumping around for the better rates. And the lumpy deposits means if you've got uh, having a lot of smaller accounts is better than having one huge account that is the majority of the business or a few huge accounts that are the majority of the business. Um, Bill, uh, uh, Bill Boy and a Piper Sandler, he, he then said, uh, as a reminder to the audience, price to book for um, banks are meaningless. It's price to tangible book and price to earnings you want to look at. And one of the concerns he raised was he expected that banks are going to have massive paper losses next quarter due to goodwill write-offs. So when a bank acquires another bank, whatever they pay above uh, the bank's tangible book value goes on as goodwill. Goodwill is uh is on their balance sheet and it is just the fact that people essentially like this bank or the value of their name or their brand doesn't have a real dollar value well he had said over 40 percent of banks now are trading below book value i think its number was 47 percent, if i remember correctly and because of that he thinks the regulators are going to have them write down their uh their book value because the because of all the uh write down their goodwill excuse me which will cause their their book value to go down so he thinks that could cause another drop in in uh in the banks in the summertime because he thinks it'll happen this this quarter but it's meaningless it's just it's just on paper but there's a concern of if, if there's any bad news are people gonna have a run on the bank one of the things that was so historic with silicon valley is how people could just use their phone to move money out of the bank very quickly how quickly people people can move money in this in this uh, with the technology available right now. Yeah, and I guess the biggest thing that comes to mind right now too is maybe you might just see it more on an individual level when it comes to bank, where when Silicon Valley started, it was pretty much a shock to the whole banking industry. A lot of banks were feeling withdrawals and just feeling some of the frenzy across the board now, where I just really question if you're going to see that same degree again, where 
you may just see it on individual banks other than just the whole whole shock of it across all the boards. Because I got to imagine the withdrawal rates that we were seeing a couple months back have slowed down to a certain degree. But again, once you see more data come out or more issues, you could see it just on the individual level where I wonder if you see it across the whole board like you did a couple months back. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the banks that that um, has stabilized, you know, uh, by that, I mean, uh, withdrawals of the, of the deposits have stabilized and they are actually uh, bringing in uh, bringing in deposits. So you can get that information from the bank's reports. A lot of them are, are putting out this information even in between uh, their quarterly reports uh, as well. So the information is out there. But that's why I've been moving so slow and I keep revisiting this topic because it's top of mind. I'm spending a lot of time on it because one, I think there's an opportunity, but I think there are the opportunities there because the risk is so high. So any information you can get is is uh, valuable on this on this uh, while you're going down this down this you know rabbit hole so to speak of banks and banking crisis and so on. Uh, another thing that that um, was mentioned was we, we keep talking about Silicon Valley Bank. It's they were saying that um, in it they never would have predicted that this bank would have would have collapsed. Right. So that to me just shows the risk. You've got these industry experts. I think there was over 100 years of experience on the panel and um, they didn't expect it. So while you're uh, researching banks, even the experts aren't going to be able to predict some of these things, uh, this the potential risk out there that by no means to me means don't do that. That doesn't mean don't do the research. To me, that means you've just got to be that much more diligent in your uh, as you do your research. Um, another important point mentioned just with this particular quarter is I talked about margin compression, but the expectation from the analyst side, this was David Bishop with Hovde, was, um, was that the banks are saying the margin compressure is greater than the street is expecting. So that information will come out in the in this next next. Uh, quarters reports which could be another risk for for decline in bank stocks so when i hear something like that uh to me that says uh the way i would approach that is i would look at it and not be putting in a full position so for example if i wanted to put three percent in a bank i would only put one one like one and a half maybe so I have the opportunity to add to it if there is a decline. The reason I split it that way is because if these things don't happen, I don't want to miss the opportunity of buying what appears to be a good deal right now. At the same time, if they do happen and it goes down further, I'd like to be able to add to the position later. Um, uh, I had added, I have this checklist that I've got for researching stocks in general, and I have a specific one for banks right now, and I've got something I'm going to add to that list, which is um, how they hedge their interest rate risk. What's the loan portfolio's average return? All this is available in their quarterly and annual reports. And how much of the hedge is actually needed, right? So uh, the big issue with Silicon Valley Bank is they had these really long-term government loans that, that paid very low interest, but they were willing to take that because it was higher interest than the short term government government bonds were paying. And so you think government bonds are safe, they're going to pay interest. The problem is 
the bank has to stay in existence until it matures and their depositors have to stay. So when their depositors left, they had a mismatch of, of, uh, of terms. They had these 30-year loans, but people wanted their money back tomorrow, you know, 30-year government bonds, excuse me, people wanted their money back tomorrow, so they had to sell and take a loss. So researching that is, is gonna be an important important part. That part was already on the, on the list, and I was making note of the interest rates that they were, that they were getting. I just think I need to look a little bit more in, in, uh, into the hedging side of things. What would you say one of, I mean, there are multiple risks, but what would you say the top risk you really look at to just, if you're, you have multiple banks, what's something that if you see on like a bank's quarterly report or annual report, you'll just stay away from if, if it's like interest rate exposure is, could it be just deposit outflows? What would you say the biggest uh, commercial real estate on a bank's loan sheet? Like what would you say like the biggest risk out there? for banks right now or some, or it could be a group of them, you say, where you just no longer research it anymore, move on to the next one. Well, so I'm starting out initially with trying to find banks that are trading below tangible book value and have a good return on equity. So I won't even spend time on, um, I won't even spend time on the bank if, uh, if they don't have those two things in place. So I think that helps eliminate some of the some of the risk as it is. I'm actually looking for my um, uh, banking investment checklist just to tell you what's on there with the, with the with the research. So your question about what the biggest risk is or what would get me to go away if they're not trading below tangible book or uh, they don't have a good return on equity, I'm already gone now. So that doesn't address your risk question. But what that does is that uh, takes the majority of banks off the table, right? So it narrows the narrows the group uh, right away. Next, um, when you talk about the biggest risk, I I would say what deposits are at risk. I'm looking at what are their uninsured deposits. And um, uh, you mentioned commercial real estate. That's another risk. So I'm not I, I I'm not ranking these because I think they are all very important things to look into. Uh, I am looking at the deposits first though, right? So I guess I, I guess as I'm answering the question, I'm coming to an answer, which is if the deposits go away, the bank's gone, right? So looking at the deposits, I would, I would put that first. I am also looking at the commercial real estate loan portfolio. There is definitely a difference between uh, commercial loans that are out there for office buildings uh, versus other types of commercial loans. And then with the office buildings, owner-occupied is is in a different category than uh, office office buildings in general. So I think you've got to look at, look at all of that. Um, I'm looking at how much they have of their capital and held to maturity loan, which was a Silicon Valley bank issue, the safety of their dividend and their dividend payout ratio. Those are my bank-specific items. And to that, I'm going to add the um, uh, the question I mentioned earlier of how they've hedged their interest rate risk. Uh, and and I already, through my regular research, I'm looking at their loan portfolio average rate of return. Uh, however, I don't have a separate question for that. I'm looking at that when I analyze the business. I am analyzing that and, the, and they're hedging together now 
after yesterday's event, those are being added as separate questions to the list, just so I don't miss it. You, I am finding that through the research already. I've just, I, I guess the importance of it's just been highlighted. Any other questions? Uh, that's all the questions I have. Thanks for answering that, but those are some good points. Yeah, a, a couple other interesting points from yesterday. About a third of commercial loans are renewing in the next 12 months, and you've got to see what you've got to look at what you think the bank will do. So there, there was an example given up there of if, a, if there was a commercial loan that was maturing and it was paying you know, 4% interest, but the going rate right now is to pay 8 right? Uh, the bank's probably not going to make the borrower go from 4 to 8 if they can't afford it, they'll probably negotiate with them because they don't want to. In this example, we're talking about an office building. The bank doesn't want to own the office building. If they raise the interest rate too high, they're going to have to, um, the borrower's not going to be able to pay and they're going to take over the office building, which the bank doesn't want to do. So in addition to um, uh, to looking at loans maturing, I think you've got to also look at management and say, you know, well, what, what are they, how are they going to approach it? Because the other side of it, going back to deposits, is how expensive are their deposits? If they can, if they're paying, you know, there are banks out there that are paying high rates, higher than other banks to get the deposits in the door. You'll see the the CDs um, that are being advertised out there for higher rates. Well, if that bank's paying 5% and that lender was paying 4 they've got to bring that lender up above 5 to at least break even, right? So you've got to, it goes back to the deposits that we talked about earlier. What are their costs uh, for those for those deposits? But then also, what are they going to do with these commercial loans as they, uh, as they mature, I actually asked a question about management because you're you're not going to be able to find out specifically to a loan what are they going to do. You've just got to try to research management and um, uh, and some of the things that are on my list already that they mentioned is you want management that are shareholders and you want management that are acting like shareholders, which you can find by reading not only the annual reports but their quarterly calls. So I, I, I think that it just, in any investment, you could argue that the most important move is, man, most important decision you make is what management team are you putting your money with? I think with, with what's going on with banks, it just highlights that even further. Um, couple other points. Banks typically feel the pain when unemployment goes up. So... Uh, there's been a, a lot of talk through this banking crisis. Is uh, is there going to be a second shoe that drops? And a lot of a lot of fingers are pointing towards commercial real estate. Well, if we do have increased unemployment and a recession, that might be the thing that causes the uh, the next shoe to shoe to drop. Um, couple ratios they highlighted: non-performing assets to assets, or non-performing assets plus troubled debt to assets. So you want to figure out. Um, how much is actually at risk of of, of default with the bank? Um, consumer issues, they're expecting consumer issues to be a risk. Specifically, what that means is uh, credit card debt's getting higher. Interest rates are going up. Are consumers going to be unable to pay their credit cards? And are there going to be higher default rates, which are currently at really low, low levels? Um, when a bank buys another bank, they typically pay one and a half times tangible book or 14 times earnings. We are currently at levels 
valuation levels where banks are trading for significantly lower than this. This might mean uh, uh, there's a, a future mergers and acquisitions opportunities. If you're the buyer of a bank being acquired, it may be a good opportunity for you as an investor. So uh, another thing that this panel uh, helped so help solidify for me, I, as I've been saying for months and weeks, I think there's a huge opportunity here. A lot of what they were talking about is, is yes, there's a risk. You've got to be careful. You've got to do your research. But there really is a huge opportunity. And they kept highlighting how focusing on uh, deposits are really the are really the key. And um, uh, smaller banks it's it's becoming more and more difficult for small banks to be independent so they're going to have to merge so it, it it really is speaking about consolidation coming in the industry which once again is another good thing uh good thing from an investment perspective so um another guideline they gave is they they said they they would uh try to avoid banks where they have more than 20 percent in a specific industry they think that's too much risk Community banks and minority banks have more capital uh, than ever. So that may be another good place to look at. I mean, that was top of mind for me, what you mentioned. I mean, banks have to be extremely diversified. And then when you talked about small banks consolidating, one of the risks that you brought up was uh, deposits, outflows, or withdrawals. I got to imagine that impacts the smaller banks the most because these large banks can withstand a lot larger withdrawals than the smaller banks can based on just the capital level as well. So that's something also that I really consider and look at as well. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, and I'll tell you, as I'm reviewing these notes, is, uh, so this panel was last last night. By the time I got home, it was pretty late. So I'm actually reviewing it for the first time as I'm, as I'm uh, presenting this to you. But to me, the major takeaways, there are some ratios that one and a half times tangible book or 14 times earnings as M&A numbers. I think that's very valuable. Um, you know, looking at the uh, hedging I mentioned earlier, I think is incredibly valuable. Looking at the ratios of non-performing assets to assets or non-performing plus troubled debt to assets, also very valuable. The two points that to me stand out as as the make or break decision when looking at this, uh, you know, putting your money towards something is going to be a how safe is the deposit base and b uh, management. Neither of those are really new. They're both things that when we, when I pulled up that checklist, which I've been using for uh, weeks and maybe even months at this point, uh, come up. Uh, it it just really underscores that further and. Um, I, I definitely, as I mentioned, found this to be a valuable use of my time. I don't go to very many of these things because I feel like they're a waste of my time. Uh, in most cases, this one I, I went to, I liked the topic, and I left thinking it was a very valuable use of, uh, of my time. So I would, uh, I think they did a great job. Once again, this was um, Washington Association of Money Managers. Uh, Hats off to you. That was a wonderful event. I found it very helpful, and it, I believe it'll help me on my journey to finding some some banks to invest in. For those of you listening, I hope you found this helpful as well. Once again, risks are high here. Please be careful. Consult uh, consult a professional. We are here to help uh, as well. If you if you need the help, and these are not recommendations, I'm just trying to help you on your on your journey and on your path. 
So today we talked about financial confidence. Adrian, excellent topic. I really like discussing that today. We talked a little bit more about about banks. Adrian, do you have any uh, final parting thoughts? Uh, I don't. I really enjoyed our discussion as well, Roshan. I look forward to our next episode. Well, my, my parting thought is a quote from Adrian. I will say, as Adrian said, take control and achieve your goals. This has been the Retirement Lifestyle Show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends and family, give us five stars. And thank you again for listening. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor, and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.